Father, we, we thank you for Jesus. And I, I, I apologize, and I'm sorry, and I repent of making it about anyone or anything else in my life. God, I, I pray that today somehow you would fill us full with, with, with what Paul's trying to communicate and with what you're trying to communicate to us through Paul. And, and God, would you do something miraculous in this moment and remind us of Jesus. It seems so very simple, and yet we overlook it all the time. So, Thank you for the power of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the privilege it is to be called his child. I pray that anybody with us this morning who doesn't know what that is, that today would be the day of their adoption. For it's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Somehow the worship team got an extra hour of sleep somewhere. Worst day of the year right now. Take your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter 3. <laughs> yeah. Philippians chapter 3 is where we are going to be spending our morning together. I'm going to remove the cap from my water bottle now. Lessons learned. Philippians chapter 3. Uh, let me ask you a question, just because I'm curious, and I want to know how you guys are doing. So how are your New Year's resolutions going? You know, it's March. Now's the time for those things to really be settling in, right? So, you know, um, the diet, still eating less, eating less sugar. Um, I have successfully this year up to this point, and, and I praise God. I'm not going to brag. I'm just going to praise God and give you a status update. Up to this point, March 10th, 2019, from January 1st, 2019, I have successfully not eaten a leaf of kale. <laughs> so that diet's killing it, man. Um, we're, we're swinging. So, so, so how about, how about your gym membership? That first week in January, that place is hopping. Not a treadmill to be found. And now it's this one poor dude like, where'd all my friends go? How about your Bible reading plan? If you are doing a through the Bible in the year and you're still up with it, You've navigated through the most difficult part of a Bible reading plan, and now you find yourself in Joshua. So congratulations. I chose this year for, I have no idea why, to read chronologically. So I just finished Numbers this morning. And, and I don't know if you know how Numbers ends. I'll just read the, 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 the caption at the top here. It, it ends, chapter 36 of Numbers is about the inheritance of Zelophehad's daughters. My life will never be the same. My sanctification is now complete. <laughs> How are those goals working out for you? I think what New Year's resolutions do for us, if nothing else, they, they prove that you need a plan and you need persistence and determination to stick to the plan. They, they prove that it takes work to lose weight. It takes work to get in shape. It takes work to, to read your Bible. It takes work. And what Paul's going to tell us this morning is it takes work to know Jesus well. But it's a work that's well worth it. So last week, just to kind of recap a little bit, um, let, let, me, let me go ahead and read this, starting in verse 7 of Philippians chapter 3. Paul says this, Everything that was gained to me I have considered to be a loss because of Jesus Christ. And more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. 
Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I consider them just dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. And my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. What what we learned last week is that, that joy comes from grasping the incredible value of the righteousness that you have been given in Jesus Christ. It's, it's so valuable, that righteousness that comes from Christ, that everything else that you had that was valuable is no longer valuable. In comparison, it's dung. It's, we talked about it last week, what you scrape off the bottom of your shoe. Chapter 3, 8 and 9, he says he, he, he repented of his self-righteousness and he re- received the, 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 the perfect righteousness of, of Jesus Christ. He wasn't viewed as righteous uh, in God's eyes because of the work he had accomplished. Now, he was viewed as righteous in God's eyes because of the work Jesus had accomplished for him. And so what's going to happen now as a result of the righteousness of Christ being given to Paul is now for eternity, he's going to receive the immeasurable riches of God's grace through his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. That's what Ephesians 2 verse 7 says. And as a result of that righteousness that's been given to Paul, now there is this strong goal, this great desire in him that he, he says in verse 10, to know him. And I want to know him. I don't know if you were paying attention this morning to the songs, but as, as we sang, as we expressed the worship that is in our heart to the ears of God through our lips, what we were crying out for is a knowledge of the most holy and Bad news, if you're going to go on your own, you are never going to get there. But if you know Jesus Christ and you are found in him, you can know the most holy. You can go into his presence without fear and know that you're accepted and received into his presence because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. I want to know Jesus Christ. I want to be found in him. This isn't an intellectual or academic level. It's not knowing facts about him. This is a personal, uh, experiential, real relationship. I want to know him, and I want to desperately know that power that is his. I want to know the power that raised him from the dead. I want to know that power. I want to know him, and I want to be like him in every way possible, even if that means suffering like he suffered, even if that means dying like he died. I want to know him. I know his power, and I want to be like him in every way possible until that day, verse 11, I somehow reach the resurrection. Now, if you read verse 11 at face value, it sounds like Paul's kind of wishy-washy. He's like, man, I, somehow, maybe I might possibly be resurrected from the dead. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that somehow I will reach the resurrection. It's going to happen. I don't know how. So I will share with you my view on the resurrection and the end times. It's going to happen. I don't know how. I just know it's going to happen. And one day I'm going to see Jesus face to face. And I look forward to that day, don't you? And so what Paul's saying is I want to know him. I want to know his power. I want to be like him in his suffering and his death. And then someday I want to attain that, that resurrection. And that's his goal, to know him. And to reach that goal takes work. You can't just show up, folks. And too many of us just show up and expect it to happen to us. 
Too many of us come and sit and hope we can absorb it like a sponge from other people. No. It takes work. And that's what Paul's going to tell us here. Let's start reading in verse 12. Paul says, not that I have already reached the goal or that I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it. This one thing I do, I forget what is behind and I reach forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, well, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to the truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters. Pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. I've often told you, and I'll say it again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They're focused on earthly things. But, but, but us, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Let me read verse 1 of chapter 4 as well. So then, my dearly beloved, my longed-for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord. Paul says, it's going to take work. And then he tells us about that work by telling us, to press on, pursue, run after. So let's answer this question. How, how do you press on? You press on beginning in verse 13 by forgetting what is behind, by forgetting the past. So let me define a key term in that phrase, forgetting the past. I need to define the term forget. Forget isn't this failure to remember, oops, it slipped my mind, I can't find my keys kind of forget. I forget your name, it's not that. This is an intentional, uh, willful decision to not allow something to affect your joy, to affect your decision-making, to affect your behavior. It means to willingly neglect and overlook. And I don't know if you've ever intentionally tried to forget something. It takes work. Paul says, let's forget the past. Let's pursue Jesus Let's not look back. So you need to, in forgetting the past, you need to forget the sins of the past. That, that doesn't mean, oh, you need to forgive yourself. That is not what that means. It doesn't mean that there's no consequences for your choices in the past. What it means is embrace the grace that has been given to you and continues to be given to you, that grace that never expires, nor will it ever run out. So forget the, the sins of your past because the sins of your past have been forgiven by Christ. And the resurrection proves that his forgiveness was more than enough to cover the cost of your sins. So, so those sins of your past, they don't actually handicap you. They, they, they can't actually paralyze you. But if you keep running, looking over your shoulder at the sins of your past, they're going to slow you down. Have you ever tried running full force as fast as you can looking over your shoulder? There's a couple of problems with that. Many problems with that. 
One is just the basic physiology of it. You can't pick up enough speed because your body is leaning the wrong way. Secondly, I won't name my child <laughs> Luke, um, but there was one of our kids who really liked running without looking where he was going. When he was in elementary school, he was playing a game, and it was Spirit Week, and he had a blue or red bandana on. He was either the Bloods or the Crips. I'm not sure which one. Uh, but he, he had a blue or red bandana on, and he was running around at recess, and the bandana, as he was chasing after a football, soccer ball, tag, oh, it wasn't even a ball. I'm disgraced. <laughs> He's running away. He's running away from tag. He does not want to be tagged. He's not going to be tagged. He's got his bandana on. And as he's running, that thing slips down over his eyes. Common sense, adult would go, okay, got to get this out of my eyes. But he was not going to get caught. So he ran full force into a soccer goalpost. And when they called me from the nurse's station saying, you should probably come down and check on your son. But he ran into a post. I'm like, oh, that kid, he always exaggerates things. And so I walked down to the nurses. Actually, it was the, the school office because they were sending him home. They were done. They're like, no, there's something wrong with this kid. And he's sitting there. And he's got, well, there's a few things wrong because he's my kid. But that's not, he's got an ice bag on his head. He's got an ice bag on his head. I'm walking. I'm like, come on, buddy. You're fine. He's like, I'll be okay. And he takes it off. He's got like this nose sticking out of his head. When you're not looking where you're running, you can't run as fast or as effectively. Forget the things that are behind. Did Paul have anything to look over his shoulder at? And think about that. When you, when you read through Acts, he shares his testimony two more times. Acts chapter 9 talks about how he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And then two more times at the end of book, the book of Acts, he shares his testimony. And each time as you read it, you're like, he was scum. Paul, Paul talks about how he persecuted believers, how he would uh, intimidate and attack believers within the synagogue, trying to get them. His intent, his purpose was to get them to blaspheme. That was his whole job, his whole goal. And then, then he was arresting believers. He was bringing them back to Jerusalem. And when they were being executed, he was giving his thumbs up. He was giving his approval. And Paul says, no, I forget those things that are behind because I now am, verse 9, found in Jesus. And in Jesus, his righteousness means that I am justified. And now God sees me as though I've never sinned, just as if I've never sinned. And he also sees me as just as if I've always obeyed. There's this, this powerful picture that Paul is painting when he says, when you pursue, when you press on, you forget the past and you forget the sins of your past. And standing in the grace of God like that takes work. Doesn't just happen. Forget the sins of your past. Forget the offenses of your past. Remember, forget is to intentionally and willingly not allow something to affect your joy, your decision-making, your behavior. It means to neglect, to overlook, and that takes work. Not saying that when somebody has done something against you and offended you in a very harmful way that there's no consequences for that person's choices and decision to sin against you. I'm not saying that they get away with it. What I'm saying is you need to understand what you've been forgiven of and then do the work of forgiveness because forgiveness takes hard work. The very essence of forgiveness is understanding how deeply you've been forgiven and allowing that to propel you to forgive other people. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a story, but before I do that, I, I, when I talk about forgiveness, I, I watch faces. So I just want to take 30 seconds and just have you think, just for 30 seconds, 
of that person who came to mind when I mentioned the fact that you're being called to do the hard work of forgiveness. 30 seconds. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 18, for this reason the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So when he began to settle accounts, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he didn't have the money to pay back, the master commanded that this man, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay for that debt of 10,000 talents. When he heard that, the servant fell face down before his master and said, Please, be patient with me. I will pay you everything. The master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave his loan. Let me give you some details there before I continue the story. When this man comes to the king, he owes him 10,000 talents. A single talent is 20 years' wages. At 10,000 talents, that means this man somehow got into debt where he owes the king 200,000 years of wages. Conservatively, he owed the king 60 million days labor. He can't possibly pay that back. And yet when he's confronted with what he owes, he's like, no, I will do everything. I promise I will pay you back. A, a promise that isn't even close to possible. But the king looks at him and says, I hear your cry for mercy. I release you and yours from jail. And I forgive that debt. Let's keep reading. That same servant in verse, uh, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That servant grabbed him, started choking him and said, pay me what you owe little math for you on that one. A hundred denarii is about a hundred days labor. That, that, that can be paid back. Right? Now, now think about this. The man goes to the king. He owes, and I'll put it in, in dollars. He owes the king six. Let me do this again. I got to get it right. That's a big number. Here we go. Sixty million Dollars. This man owes this other man $100. So, so let me do this. This man has borrowed from you $6 million. I'll drop it even smaller. Just to kind of get a number that maybe you can wrap your head around on $6 million bucks. Like somebody's going to borrow $6 million bucks. I mean, that's... If you have $6 million to loan, come see me afterwards. I'll be happy. But $6 million. So borrow $6 million. Ten bucks. See the contrast between the two? God forgave you a gazillion dollars. And yet, you can't let this go. See, too often the thing that keeps us from pursuing Christ is the fact that we're clinging to the offenses of our past. But I've been offended so badly 
Yeah, I know it was bad. But in light of what you've been forgiven, stop allowing your identity to be about what's harmed you. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying like, oh, you know, just show up and be like, I forgive you and it's all done. No, it's a constant, repeated, and regular effort on your part to not allow the offense to become who you are. And Paul says what you need to do is forget the past. You need to forget the sins of the past. Forget the offenses of the past. And here's a turn, forget the successes of the past. Too many of us live in that nostalgic, you know, back in the good old days when Uniontown used to meet in the little white church and have 400 services. Back in the, now, uh, uh, let me tell you, they were definitely old. But when we think about the good old days, we, we tend to sanitize them in our heads. You do that with your family. You do that with your incredible efforts on the athletic field. Okay, I'll show it. There's a couple guys that are really happy right now. Here's a little clip for you to enjoy. Back in 82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin a quarter mile. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. <laughs> How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? Yeah, coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions, no doubt. No doubt in my mind. You better believe things have been different. I'd have gone pro. In a heartbeat. I'd be making millions of dollars and living in a big old mansion somewhere. You know, soaking it up in a hot tub with my soulmate. Is? Sorry, I turned that off. In the good old days... I could throw a football over that mountain. Now, see, what, what we've done is we've sanitized even our own ability. And, and within our own walk with Christ, too often we cling to the good that we've done in the past, and we ignore both the opportunity and the responsibility to do more now. And, and what we need to understand, in, in God's economy, there is no concept of retirement. I, I'm not saying you don't retire from work. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when it comes from knowing him and pursuing him, God does not understand why, when you have been forgiven so very much, you feel just fine at, you know, retiring because you've put in your time. You've done your Bible reading. You've served in the nursery enough to rest on your accomplishments is to stop pressing on. Paul says it takes work. So, so forget the past, but he also tells us to reach forward. That the picture that he paints in verse 13, he talks about reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue my goal as the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Jesus Christ. The picture that he's, he's painting for us is, is the sprinter at the end of the race who is leaning forward hard, trying to win the race, trying to, to get to that finish line. This is a, a, a video from back in Rio. It's an amazing sprint between these two women. And they come to the end of the race and they're getting close to the line and they've given everything they have and now they've got to get to the line first, so they will do literally anything to get there first. Yeah, Al is exactly what I thought, but she didn't like wince at all. And the, the photo finish picture, I, if I was this lady, I would frame this thing and hang it in my office, because that's like priceless right there. 
But that's the picture that Paul is painting for us. He says, you pursue, you move forward, you reach forward, you don't stop. It's not, I ran as hard as I could, and now I'm just tired. Don't you think she was tired? No, you, you pursue, you reach forward, and you don't, no matter how awesome you have been, you don't coast. Another picture for you of coasting. And how it cost you, this one was commentary. Take my word for it, there's a moral to this story. <laughs> yeah, it looked like a coronation for Tanche Pepio. He's getting the crowd, he wants the crowd to cheer his performance, and at the end he gets pipped. He gets pipped by Marin Simon of Washington. And you just can't do this kind of stuff, Lewis. You can, and you know, you see his face, and you know no one has to say anything. They don't have to explain it to him, he'll never make that mistake again. I got this one in the bag. I think it's funny that he's trying to pump up the crowd at a track meet. <laughs> okay, good luck, buddy. <laughs> but as he's doing that, he's coasting like, I got this thing. And dude from Washington just zips past him. Paul says, you never coast. You press on. The one who is infatuated with Jesus and longs to know him and makes that their number one goal, their number one priority, will never coast. Folks, we lack this, this all-consuming passion for God. We lack it. We tend to, to quit. We tend to think we've, we've got enough. We, we tend to think that that's for the professionally spiritual people, like pastors. Or th- worse, we think it's other people need more passion for God, but not us, because we're good. You and I need the same passion that Paul had. You and I need the same desperation that Moses had. In Exodus 33, where as he's interacting with God, he's, God says, I, I'm going to lead you into land. And Moses' comment to God is, listen, if you don't go with us, we're not going. If, if you're not with us, why in the world would I leave this place? I'm not going anywhere unless you're with us, God. See, as you pursue Jesus, as you press on, it is marked by reaching forward. It's marked by being desperate and passionate about God. Um, don't hear me say that you need to be smarter. I mean, we all need to be smarter, but that's not the point. We need to stop looking over our shoulder. We need to look ahead to a Savior. So we press on, we forget the past, we, we reach forward, and then we take some time to remember our rescue. Remember that when we, we think about the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ, it simply, it, it wasn't just, and, and, and just is a hard thing to say about that, isn't it? But it wasn't just a gift that, that he handed to you. It was an action that he took, so you didn't need to do it yourself. God is awesome, I am not, and while I was in the full throes of my sinfulness, God showed up, he willingly humiliated himself for me. So, so remember that God loves us, God empowers us, God sustains us in spite of our screw-ups. I mean, it's not our ability, it's not our efforts, it's not my deposit in the, the righteous bank, it's not my own prayers that make me acceptable in God's eyes, it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ that does. And so Paul says, press on, forget the past, reach forward, remember your rescue, and all of those things take work. But it's funny, it's motivated out of this powerful reminder that Paul continues to give us. And I think he answers the question, why we press on. Why do we press on? 
Uh, okay, so I'm going to cut it a little bit. You ready? Here we go. You have to stick with me. I'm going to walk through some of these verses really fast so you don't feel cheated. <laughs> I don't feel cheated, so we'll see if you do. Okay, verse 18. Uh, Paul says, I have often told you, and now again I say with tears. You see the, the emotional investment that Paul has with these people. And he says, listen, I've told you about these people, and now there's a lot of enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a, that's a pretty harsh saying, isn't it? You're an enemy of the cross of Christ. There are people out there who are living opposed to the cross, in rebellion to the cross. That, that great event when Jesus Christ came and laid down his life for us, picturing God's love for us. And, and instead of embracing that, that spotless lamb of God as, as a humble people and pressing on as Paul has called us to, these people, it says they live as enemies of the cross. Their end is their destruction the choices that they're making are leading them on a destructive path. Their God is their stomach, the picture of selfishness. They want what they want, when they want it, no matter what. Their glory is in their shame. The things that God would be ashamed of are the very things that they're celebrating. They're focused on earthly things. Their focus is here. Their focus is, is now. And when Paul says, no, no, you press on, because even though they're doing those things, you press on, why? Because, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. You press on, because this ain't home. This, this isn't home. We, we, we long for that day. Because <laughs> that's what we're created for. And, and, and citizenship is in heaven, and we wait eagerly for a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. Why do you press on? Because this isn't home. Why do you press on? This isn't the end. And we wait for a Savior. One day he's coming. And we will see him as he is. And while now our bodies are subject to weakness and disease and death, on that day when Jesus returns, we'll be like him. And we'll be like him forever. Now, there was a good holy rumble on that one. Because I think a lot of us hear forever and we're like, thank you, Jesus. But I also think a lot of us are like, that is such a long time. My picture of heaven is the monk with the long tail hanging on the back of his head. and be like, Well, except for me, but that's all right. Actually, I might be able to grow that. Um, and sitting in like, oh, all for all of eternity, right? That's your picture. But that's, that's, that's not what heaven is. Think about this. For, we, we are invited. Oh, boy. I got to be careful because I could preach this for a while. Okay. <laughs> there is a banquet. And even you introverts are going to like this one. Because there is a banquet. And, and we sit around the table, and the banquet celebrates an individual, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world. And at that banquet, there's hmm, my hopefully sanctified imagination at work, people like David will stand up. Like, I know y'all know about me, but let me tell you something. What I am completely aware of in this moment is that it wasn't about me. When I took down Goliath, 
I didn't do it. God did. And what's been pictured through my story is the power of Christ to conquer sin. Maybe, um, maybe Paul will stand up. Maybe Peter will stand up. I obviously will not be sitting next to Peter. Peter will stand up. I, I, Peter will stand up and say, let me, let me tell you, I in this room, I'm probably the biggest screw-up around. That's why I won't be sitting next to Peter. Um, I denied him. When the pressure got heated, even after his resurrection, I decided to teach something that took the pressure off of me. I, I am like the basest of the basest of the basest, and yet I got to taste and, and, and experience the grace of Jesus Christ in my life like nobody else could. Maybe the adulterous woman stands up and says, I was surrounded by men who had big stones and they were ready to cast them on me. They were going to put me to death. And yet Jesus stepped in and bent down in the sand and began to write. And I didn't even get to see what he wrote in the sand. But as soon as he was done, all of my accusers were gone. And Jesus looked at me and said, where are your accusers? And she said, I, I don't see them anymore. And Jesus looked at me, you're not going to believe it. And he said, I don't see him either. So now I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. Maybe in that moment, the demon-possessed girl from Philippi stands up. Says, actually, it was hilarious. I was walking behind them the whole time, mocking them. Like, and Paul turned around and she makes contact with Paul. Like, you remember this? And Paul's like, I remember that story. And she's like, and he turned around and he's like, enough! And all of a sudden, blah, 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 I'm in my right mind. And it wasn't because of Paul. The name of Jesus. There'll be a banquet where we celebrate the Lamb. And that banquet is just the start. Maybe the first 100,000 years. That's my kind of banquet. As long as there's a few naps interjected. Why do we press on? We press on because this isn't the end. That is. But, but, but even more important, and I, think, and I think Paul makes this so clear with a beautiful phrase that is rattling around in my head, and this is, this is where we'll end, both because of time and because this is where the, the sermon actually ends. Um, <laughs> yep, I lost an hour of sleep. Get off of me! No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Listen to what Paul says in verse 12. Listen, guys, I'm not perfect. I haven't reached the goal but I press on, I make every effort, take hold of it, because I've been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. Why do we work? Why do we press on? Because Jesus made us his. He, he loves us because we're his, not, not because we deserve his love. He loves us because we're his. I mean, you, you even look through the, 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 the biblical narrative and you see God loves Moses who was unqualified and rebellious, and yet God loves him because God called him. God loves David, an adulterous murderer who's completely unqualified, yet God loves him because God loved him and called him. Paul, the persecutor of the church, is loved and called by God, and so he is now in God's fold. Peter, the loudmouth failure, who, who is just embraced by Jesus and grace upon grace is just dumped on him. Jesus made us his 
doesn't matter what our past was. It doesn't matter how hard we fell. It doesn't matter how many times we failed. It doesn't matter how many times we fail now. Jesus made us his. So I don't know if you're a recovering adulterer. I don't know if you're a a victim of abuse. I don't know if you're an arrogant know-it-all. I don't know if you're an angry alcoholic or a disrespectful teenager. In and through Jesus Christ, God loved you and made you his own, not through any effort or work or deserving of it, but through his mercy. We have a God who on our worst day rescued us and made us his own. So we press on. Small picture to close. I have a daughter. <laughs> you, got, you got two, you can't mess that up. But I got a daughter who, is, who was, she's no longer, was terrified of water. Not bath water, praise God. Like the ocean, just terrified. There swimming pools. Oh. There'd be moments in the ocean where my family would go to Ocean City, Jersey, and, and we would love doing the wave jumping, and we would body surf and do all that stuff. And I would drag the kids out with me and, and hold hands, and as the waves would come and crash, whoosh, I mean, it was just epic. It was just awesome. And great memories. Lots of crazy memories. There's still a pair of shorts that we haven't found. Um, that's another time. Just some awesome memories. And so we, we would go out, and I remember trying to get Audrey out in the water, and then she just fought. I mean, it's that, you know, that kid who's crawling away from trying not to get, I mean, just up my side, my head grabbing on. It's like, it's okay, it's just water, we'll be fine. And finally talking her into, okay, let's do this, and, and getting, you know, ankle deep, and the wave would come and be like, woo, woo, but I'm dad, that's boring, right? So drag the little munchkin who's terrified of water out, you know, almost to the waist to be like, it's all good, it's fine. And the wave comes, and it's like, psh, and she's like, oh, that's fun, oh, psh, okay. Now she's got my hand. Until the big one came. She is the one. This thing, I mean, it knocked me down. And I came up, and all I saw were feet. It's like, oh, grab an ankle, pull her up out of the water. And from that moment on, you know what she did? She was around my neck with a death grip. It's like a chokehold. She was not letting go. He pulled you out of the water. Don't ever let go. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the grace you have given to us so very undeserved in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the love that you have demonstrated not just in the sacrifice of Christ, but in the daily reminders of how much you love us and care for us. And God, I pray we would be busy about the hard work that you've called us to. Lord, would we pursue you and press on? Would mercy not just be a word that we talk about in church, but maybe a fact that we reflect on regularly? Lord, thank you for your mercy. Amen.